morning. It's good to see you guys, and uh, it's exciting to have our, our first weekend of summer where we are officially um, all indoors with all three of our services, and uh, we're grateful for those of you that are here in the room, for everybody who's joining us online today. Um, we're so glad that you tuned in, and I couldn't be more excited to start this brand new series today called Little Foxes, and uh, some of you are just like, is this about me? Is this about me, Little Foxes? Um, and I want to sort of set up what this series is about and where we got this quirky name from before I fully jump into uh, the message today. And uh, maybe you're aware of this, maybe not, but this, this, this little uh, phrase, Little Foxes, comes from a line of Hebrew poetry that's found in uh, the Song of Solomon. And I want to just read this to you so you have a little bit of context. It says this, Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. And, you know, maybe this just brings more confusion to what in the world does that mean. But, like, this whole book, Song of Solomon, is this elaborate um, allegory. It's, it's almost like a, a musical, uh, if you can sort of picture it, where there's different parts being said and sung to different people. And, and in a vineyard, grapes are really the goal. And what it's saying is that little foxes have this way of getting in and sabotaging uh, that goal over time. And what this wisdom writer is saying is, you know, a lot of times we think what's going to wreck our lives, what's going to wreck our loves in life is, is going to be some big thing, some enormous or obvious thing. But this writer is saying, like, pay attention to the little nuisances, especially the ones that are, are small and, and seem sort of harmless because they can have a much larger negative effect over time on our lives. And, you know, maybe this metaphor isn't the most relatable to you because maybe you are not a farmer. Any farmers? Okay, zero. Um, maybe you've never dealt with foxes. I haven't. I'll tell you what I have dealt with. Possums. Is it possum or opossum? I don't know. It's spelt strange and it confuses me every time I read it. But I will tell you this. We had... Uh, an opossum that was terrorizing our backyard for like a couple years. And I know some of you think it looks cute. I just think it looks like a, a rat mated with a cat. That's what it looks like to me. And I don't know if you, like it looks like, you know, a, a neighborhood cat and a rat, you know, found their own vineyard of love. And uh, this was the result of that thing. And I'll tell you, it may look adorable, but what would happen at our house was, you know, every once in a while, you know, you, you get done with dinner, and it's somebody's chore to take out the trash, but they're not really feeling like walking all the way to the can. You ever done this before? And you're like, I don't want to go over this, like, five steps outdoors, and it's just so it's frigid, California. And so we just, like, sort of set it on the other side of the sliding door on the back patio, and we're like, it'll be fine. And every time, every time we did that, this little thing right here would get in and tear a hole in it and drag trash all over our yard and just spread it out everywhere. And I'm telling you, this little thing caused so many problems. I mean, it cost me so many hours of cleanup in my front and backyard, like, caused me so many fights with my wife about like, it was your turn, you, sh you said, I went with tomorrow, and, what and the whole deal, it cost me being late to so many different meetings and, and things I was supposed to be at. This little, small thing that just seemed like it couldn't do that much damage actually really did, and, and that's the idea. And what I think is really interesting is that this peculiar line of poetry 
um, isn't the only place that this idea appears in Scripture. In fact, we see another metaphor that's drawing attention to this same big idea in the New Testament. And uh, it's, it's by the writer of Hebrews. And this is what that person writes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every... Don't make it weird, guys. Off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And in essence, what this is saying is that in, in the lives that we're living, in the loves that we're pursuing, not everything that slows us down in the journey that we're a part of right now is sinful. But at the same time, just because something won't send you to hell doesn't mean that it won't keep you from fulfilling your potential or accomplishing your dreams or enjoying your relationships or becoming your best self. And I think sometimes we dismiss certain things because we're like, well, I'm definitely going to heaven. And that's my main goal, uh, unless your main goal is to go to hell. And then uh, that's maybe you have different goals than other people. But when you read these verses together, what they're saying is this, that like, if your life isn't headed in the right direction and you are not really sure why things aren't working out, it could be that you're expecting it to be a big thing when in reality it's this small and unassuming thing that's holding you back. And I, I think the most common culprits are these four foxes the, that we're going to delve into starting this week and the next several weeks over the course of this month of June is the fox of bad habits and the fox of fruitless relationships, the fox of wasted time, and the fox of squandered resources. And we're going to talk about these over the course of the next several weeks. And so I would encourage you to, to come back and to keep tuning in for this. But this week, we are going to tackle or try and capture the first one, the fox of bad habits. And uh, I hope you take some notes and write some things down that you may be able to apply to your life today or at least just think about a little bit more. And the title of my message today is One Fox, Two Fox, Red Fox, Dead Fox. You knew where that was going, didn't you? And naturally, we're going to look at the life of Moses, which you could have guessed. And maybe somewhat, you're somewhat familiar with his story, right? He is a legendary leader of the Jewish people, of the Hebrew people. He, he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he, he was a part of and had a front row seat for so many miracles that God did. He instructed the people on behalf of God. He's responsible for actually like, like taking the, the, God's idea of how to live and, and giving it to the people and, and giving them what they called the law, which they, they, they based their lives around. But he also had this really bad habit that kept creeping up over and over again in his life and causing a lot of problems. And, you know, there's something that becomes really evident early on in his story as we start to tiptoe into it. And, and I, it's not just true for him, but I think it's true for all of us. And it's this, that we don't typically choose bad habits, right? We slip into them and then we get stuck. Is this the way it works out in your life? Like, I've never really met someone that was like, man, I really hope I get addicted to cigarettes and die of lung cancer. That, oh, man, 
Ah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm working towards. Cross my fingers, you know what I mean? If it works out, God willing, you know. Most of my goals revolve around, you know, I would have to say pornography ruining my marriage. That's, oh man, if I had to pick one thing that I really pray for, it's that, it's that. I want to, I guess what I'm looking to do, I want to attach my personal self-worth to overspending and hopefully eventually go bankrupt. But, you know, we all have dreams, and these are mine. Right? No, it's ridiculous. And, and yet we, we find ourselves sort of slipping into certain things, and then we're just sort of stuck, and we, we don't know how to get out, and we just keep repeating and returning to the same things over and over again. And it doesn't feel fair, right? Because to be honest, some of us are, are predisposed to certain horrible habits that we would have never chosen. You ever notice that like certain things are just harder for you than other people? And certain things, actually, this may come as a surprise to you, are easier for you than other people. Now that one we don't care as much about, but the things that are harder for us than other people, that is uncalled for. It's annoying, right? And this, I, this has been true my entire life, right? Just people who didn't seem to have to study as hard and they just automatically got good grades, right? People, I've almost my whole life had workout partners where I'm like, you're looking good. What are you doing? What are you eating? They're like, whatever I want to. And I'm like, I hate you, you know? I've been on a diet, and I'm, I'm just, this is still what we're getting. I don't know. We're doing the same workouts. It doesn't feel fair. Does it feel fair to you? And as they're eating a Snickers bar for energy, they're just like, I don't know. I feel fine. It feels great. And that's usually when I, like, I forget to spot them. You know what I mean? Things happen <laughs> at the gym is what I'm saying. And this, this proves to be true in, in the, the life of Moses, too. Like, Moses, he didn't choose to be born an oppressed minority. Like, he, he, didn't, he didn't choose to be later adopted by people of power and privilege. He didn't, he didn't choose to be part of these two totally different worlds that he had to constantly, like, code switch between. He, he, he didn't, like, he, he didn't choose the identity crisis that came from, like, living two lives, and, and one of them was almost a total secret. Like, he didn't choose his personality and his temperament that he was just sort of born with. He didn't choose the circumstances he was dropped into, and he, and he didn't choose the way all these things sort of came crashing together in, in one big moment. And this moment happens in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. I want to read you this. It says, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And a lot of people did not know that he was a Hebrew, that, that he actually was born a slave. It was a secret identity. And he went to visit them, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. And during the visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Is that where you thought the sentence was going? I think about all the great, incredible things that Moses did throughout his life, and it's like he looked both directions, and I thought it was going to be like, and then he offered to help the man and like escorted him and gave him a talking to him. But no, he was like, look both directions, and then he kills him and buries him in the sand. That's shocking and surprising. And honestly, I think it surprised Moses too. I think afterwards it left him thinking like, what just happened? Like, what did, what did I do? How did I get here? Because we don't get the impression that he just, he woke up that morning and was like, 
you know what I feel like today? Eggs and murder. You know what I mean? That is what I, that's how I want to start my day. It doesn't really seem like that. It feels more like the result of this reservoir of suppressed anger that's sort of bubbling below the surface in his life with nowhere to go. It feels like the result of all of this, 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 this unchecked habit that's sort of gone awry, this, this temper that he can't seem to get a handle on. And I think even looking at the story, it's just like, oh, it's not premeditated. I mean, this is, there's no plan because nobody would plan this poorly. He kills the guy, then he buries him in the sand at the scene of the crime. That is a crime of passion, if ever there was one. We've all watched enough murder shows and investigative shows and CSI episodes to know that that is a horrible cover-up. Somebody's going to find that body probably pretty quickly, okay? That sand is going to blow away and reveal the dead body beneath it, okay? I mean, what did you do? Did you, like, did you use your hands for shovels? How deep could you possibly get in a few moments, right? This is not, this is not, a, great, this is not a great plan. And not only that, I mean, they're definitely going to find his fingerprints. They're going to run that through Aphis and Codis, okay? They're going to get a hit, all right? And then they're going to put out an APB. And then after that, somebody's going to come in with some luminol. I'll tell you that right now. And they're going to find some spatter, all right? And then they're going to cross-check that. I watch a lot of murder shows, you guys. Um, it's like, what are you, what, Moses, what are you thinking? And the reality is, he wasn't thinking. He was acting instinctually based on these habits that had entrenched themselves in his life. And afterwards, he feels like his life is over, and so he, he runs away. And he wonders, like, how did things go so wrong? Like, how did I end up here? And I think he ends up here the same way anybody does. Because here's what you need to understand. Consequences often occur instantly, but character erodes incrementally. And oftentimes, in the middle of the moment, we are shocked by the consequences that came to bear, not realizing that we had been slowly moving in this direction for a really long time. With certain repeated behavior that was sort of always leading here. Now, you know, we might not all have a, a, a temper problem. And even if you do, I'm not saying that you're eventually going to murder someone. I mean, not all of you. A couple of you look a little murdery. I'll be real with you right now, okay? I'm not going to point you out. But you know who you are. But what I am saying is, I think we all have had this sudden realization that, you know, a series of small attitudes and actions have all added up to something self-sabotaging. I think we've all sat in the middle of that moment and just been like, what, how in the world did I get here? I never wanted to be here. I never wanted to become this. But I'm here now. And oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, a habit that we sort of ignored was the culprit. Now, what do I mean by that? Like a bad habit is essentially just anything destructive that you do repeatedly. And some of you are like, man, that, then I've got a lot of them, okay? And a lot of times the consequences that come to bear because of these bad habits we do sort of, they do sort of surface all of a sudden, right? We find ourselves like being surprised by it in the same way that Moses was. We're like, why, why don't these pants fit? 
Right? We get on the scale and we're like, how did I gain 30 pounds? This scale's broken. I don't know what happened. How did we get in all this debt? I don't even remember. What, how, how, that can't be possible. Like, why, why did people stop inviting me over? Why did I get fired again this week? I don't even know what I did. But I'm not allowed to come back on the premises. Why does my roommate always seem like annoyed every time I walk in the room? Like, what, what did I do? What am I doing? What have I done? And sometimes I think we are aware of a bad habit and where it's headed, like where it's going, where it's taking us. And at other times, we, we are aware of it, right? We, we do know that we have this issue, but we don't want to deal with it. And so we ignore it instead of addressing it, hoping that it will just eventually evaporate. You ever do this one? I've done it multiple times. Or I finally like come to realize like, oh, I, that probably is something that I need to deal with. That's not going the right direction. Maybe if I ignore it, it'll just disappear. It'll go away. It'll evaporate. It'll resolve itself. And it's sort of the same logic that like two-year-olds use when they're playing hide-and-go-seek. I don't know how long it's been since you played Hide and go seek with a two-year-old. But they, like, they all do this thing when they're like, they're, you're getting close and they don't know what to do. They just close their eyes. Because in their mind, if I'm not looking at you, you don't exist. Which is absurd. Because you, you, you do exist. And sometimes we, we play the same sort of mind games with the habits that we, we don't really want to have to handle. It's as absurd as a farmer thinking like, you know what? Um, if I ignore this little fox, maybe it'll just get, like, tired and stop wrecking the roots in my vineyard. That's not what foxes do. They go get their friends. Some of their friends are possums, and they attack. And spoiler alert, like, it doesn't work out well for Moses either. There's, there's, there's this moment that happens years and years later after he had led the people out of Egypt and he is hiking back to the camp um, after, you know, having just received the Ten Commandments from God himself. And, and in the middle of this, like, seemingly spiritual moment, he has another, he has this other, like, sort of flare-up of unchecked anger. And I just want to read this to you uh, because it is insane. Uh, Exodus chapter 32, verse 19 says this. When he, when he came near the camp, Moses saw the idol that they had crafted and they're dancing, and he burned with anger like the mayor in Footloose. <laughs> you guys going to get a study Bible because it has the notes at the bottom. <clears throat> he threw the stone tablets on the ground. These are the Ten Commandments, by the way. Smashing them at the foot of the mountain, and he took the golden calf they'd made, and he burned it. And then he ground it into a powder, and he threw it into the water, and he forced the people to drink it. That is so much so over the top. It's so hilarious to me. It's ridiculous. Somebody's melting down. Now, I will tell you this. Idol worship was a big no-no. It was like the big thing that you were not supposed to do that was not tolerated in this people group, in this community, by this God. But here's the other thing. Like, God didn't tell Moses to respond this way. Sometimes we, we, we sort of have this idea that when a, like a spiritual leader 
in a Bible story does something that it's automatically holy because they're a, like a Bible character. But this is, there's nothing godly about this. This is all Moses. This is all him just on his own raging, just throwing a tantrum. Now, his response was creative, and I feel like you should get bonus points for that. But it's not helpful. It's definitely not holy. God literally hand-wrote crucial societal instructions on stone tablets with his finger. And then Moses comes down the mountain, gets angry, and smashes them before anybody could read them. Then he makes all the people drink their sin. That's crazy. And here's what I wonder. When I, when I read these two stories back to back, I, I wonder if anything about this unhinged outburst felt a little familiar to him. I wonder if during it or in the aftermath of it, for like a split second, he, he saw himself sitting in the sand as, as a young man, his fingers slowly unraveling out from around the snapped neck of a silenced Egyptian. And I wonder if in this moment, he had the same feeling of like, what'd I do? How'd I get here? Why'd this happen? Because this is a pattern for him. We see it multiple times throughout his life. Like, he held on to things. And, and his habit for harboring anger had this tendency to break out and break things. And the things that they broke when they broke out almost always tended to be things that really mattered. And usually the consequences of our bad habits come to bear at the worst possible times. Maybe you've noticed this in your own life. And what's interesting to me about these two moments that happened in Moses' life is that between them, all of this super spiritual stuff happened. Like, he went out in the desert and he was so sad and like God spoke to him in a burning bush and then he confronted Pharaoh who was like the most powerful person at this time in history. Then he presided over the 10 plagues, right, which were these miraculous events that like sort of woke these people up to the power of God. Then God like frees the people and parts the Red Sea, which is this impossible thing. All these people pass the other side and then God closes the waters and like kills their enemies and then God provides food for the people out of thin air, it basically rains breadsticks in the desert, which is amazing. I don't know if there's dipping sauces. It doesn't say. Then, like, he sees God appear as a pillar of fire and, like, sort of lead them around the desert. And then literally just before this, 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 this second incident here, he's coming down a mountain after spending 40 days alone talking to God. And yet after all that, outrage still is a problem for him. And I wonder if you've been there. In this, in this place, in some way, shape, or form, where you just, you, you can't seem to, to break free of the control of this issue in your life. And you just, you, you just think to yourself, like, I don't get it. I prayed. I filled out an I said yes card. I even went to the corner. 
And I already have a Bible, but I got one of those Bibles. I don't know if they're prayed over, if they're extra spiritual or something. I don't know how it works. I was, I'll take it, okay? And I got it. And I've been like, I read it, you know, once a year. And I, I have it is the point. And I, twice last month, I raised one of my hands during worship. Not like a full raise, but like a little like, like a little, like a more of like a mid-range five, not like a full high 10 to Jesus. And I did it. And I, I feel like I felt something. I went to Discover. Not the whole thing, because it's a long class. But I went to the part where they give you food, and then I left when I pretended I had to go to the bathroom. And I learned at least a couple things. And I, I just, I'm trying, and I just, I just, I thought God would have fixed this for me by now. Have you ever had that thought? I thought God would have fixed this for me by now. And all these things are great. All these things that we try and do, all these moments that we had that we share with God. But I got to tell you, profound spiritual experiences don't excuse us from the practical struggle of establishing healthy habits. I'm glad you prayed and cried and, and, and felt something, but you still have to face yourself even after coming face to face with God. And sometimes what we have in, in, in an emotional, like incredibly real and very spiritual exchange with God is we're like, oh, my life has changed. And what I would say is that um, your mind has been changed or maybe your heart has been changed, but your life doesn't change until you walk out and choose to live different. And God wants to lead you in that direction and empower you to do so, but you have to partner with him in the process. The Apostle Paul says it this way in a, in a letter that he writes to the early Christians. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, listen to this, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and you become like him. And there's, there's, there's so much going on in this small little sentence here, but essentially he's saying like, there are things that feel natural to you or have become habitual for you that are working against you. Like they're taking you in the opposite direction you want to go. They're making you into a person that you don't actually want to be. And God can and will set you free, but you have to choose to live free, to establish some new habits, to put on a new nature, to renew your mind, to put in the effort to know and to grow to become like Christ. And what I think is so fascinating about God, who, who can do anything, any way that he wants to, like God's preferred way of transforming your life is instead of doing it for you, God wants to do it with you. And maybe you're thinking, like, that sounds great for other people. But, like, if you're like me, when, when confronted with like a deeply embedded bad habit in your own life, you will do anything to avoid having to acknowledge or address that thing. And we are experts at excuses, aren't we? It's not that big. I mean, like, it's just the way I am, okay? I'm just, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to have, I'm just trying to enjoy my life, okay? It's not illegal, Technically, in this state, you know. I, mean, I thought Jesus was all about grace. I don't know why you people are all judgy. 
all of a sudden. And here's what, what, what Paul has to, to, to say to all this. He says this in another letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, 23. He says, um, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, which is true. But not everything is good for you. Not everything is beneficial. And he sort of raises the bar. Like he, he, he does essentially what a lot of the Old Testament wisdom writers do and say, maybe, just maybe, life isn't about just trying to get off on a technicality and squeak into heaven. Maybe life is about something more. And maybe the goal is exercising wisdom and living life to the full in the here and now. And so just because something is natural and enjoyable and legal doesn't mean it's beneficial. And this is how I think we excuse a lot of the little foxes in our lives. I wonder if you think about like the things that you do that are somewhat destructive that you tell yourself are, are not that big a deal you know, the, the way you talk to certain people or maybe the way you treat your body or maybe the way you think about yourself. The angry assumptions that you make, the, the walls that you build up around yourself, the, the conversations that you continue to delay again and again, the blame that you place, the responsibility that you're avoiding the actions you're delaying, the relationship that you refuse to boundary. I wonder if you do the same thing that a lot of us do. You tell yourself, like, you know, it's not that bad, but is it beneficial? And maybe it's not, but maybe you also think, like, but it hasn't really done that much damage yet. It's just, it's like a, it's like a small annoyance. It's, a new, it's just like a little fox. Sometimes if you, at the right angle, it almost looks cute. And it hasn't done anything bad to my life yet. But the reality is, just because a consequence isn't immediate, doesn't mean it isn't inevitable. And the reality of it is, whether it's positive or negative, most habits take a long time to pay off. And this is the deceptive nature of little bad habits over the course of time. Like, look at what happens to Moses when he is over 100 years old. Hey, think about that for a minute. Over, he has had a certain issue, a certain habit for over 100 years. And it's like, there's been little issues, but nothing really horrible has happened yet. I mean, there was the murder, but like, you know, aside from that, this is what happens. Numbers chapter 20 Verse 7, these people are in the desert, and they are just, like, dying of thirst. And the people are literally going to die, and, and they're pleading with God to give them something to drink. And this is, this is what happens. The Lord says to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. And as the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. Some of you are like, rocks don't have water in it. God can do whatever he wants, Okay. You'll provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. And so Moses and Aaron summon the people to come together at the rock. And this is what he does. Listen, you rebels! 
he shouted, must we bring you water from this rock? And then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. And he was like, bam! And the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. This is hilarious to me. God, uh, picture this. These people are, are, are like, they are, they're starving. They're dying. And God is like, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to do a miracle. I'm even willing to share credit with you. Okay, even though it's like mostly going to be me. You're just kind of, you're basically like the assistant, right? You know, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you do it. And here's the thing. Just go over there, take the staff, stand there. And then just like, you know, say something to the rock. Do it calmly. I'm not even going to try and like whatever you want to say. Like from here to row, from the rock may come water. Like whatever you want to say. Okay. I don't know if you were just going to go, huzzah. Like I don't even, I'm not even trying to dictate what you say to the rock. Just a calm sentence to the rock. And then I'm going to, and then the rock is going to spill out the water and all the people will drink. And Moses is like, got it. I can definitely do that. No problem. And then he turns right around and is like, listen everybody! He doesn't speak gingerly to the rock. He screams at the people. Think about this for a minute. Just completely disregards. And then he doesn't just like speak to the rock so that the water comes out. He takes the stick and just starts beating the rock with it. And all the people are like, he's lost it again. But then the water still comes out crazy. And this is what is incredible about God. God still does the miracle. He still chooses to bless the people, even though the leader deliberately disobeyed. And this is, this is evidence of the grace of God. But I got to tell you, just because something good comes out of something bad doesn't mean that a consequence for the bad won't also follow. And this is what happens right after that. It says in verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. And maybe that doesn't sound like a, a, a big deal to you, but Moses had spent his entire life pursuing this place called the promised land that they were standing on the edge of. And Moses had devoted his entire life trying to lead the people there. And it was tough. And it was like, it, it was a grind. And the people complained the whole time. And he struggled. And, and he just kept pushing towards this dream that he had. And he got right up to the edge. And, and then God is just like, listen, because you have never really addressed this issue in your life because you've never taken inventory to admit and address and surrender and get help with this bad habit in your life, it is going to rob you, steal from you, not your chance at going to heaven when you die, but your ability to step into your dream right now. And Moses had to stand on the edge of everything he had hoped for and dreamt of his entire life and know that he blew it. And he only really had himself to blame. It's just got to make it way worse. And I think a lot of people have this similar experience in this. Like they, they want something great in their life. They pray for something great. Maybe God even promises to lead them forward, but it doesn't end up panning out for them because here's the reality. 
of the way that life actually works. You don't rise to the level of your hopes. You fall to the level of your habits. You know something that's really interesting? Like, people that actually step into the things that they hope for and the people that don't, oftentimes both of them have the same exact goals, hopes, and dreams. The differentiator is the habits. Because what you do on a regular basis determines where you go and who you become along the way. And I I wonder, like, when it comes to the things that you do, what are they adding up to? Where are they taking you? Who are they turning you into? Maybe you're just like, I don't know. Sometimes we don't know. Part of me wonders if Moses knew. If he knew how bad this thing really was, if he, if he was self-aware enough to realize like what this was leading to and what it was going to eventually cost him. Like, sometimes you and I are the same way. Like, we're not really sure. We're not really aware of how bad something has actually gotten in our life. And maybe you don't know, but here's what I would wager. The people that are closest to you probably do know what it is. I mean, don't tell them right now, but like, just maybe later. Over ice cream. It's always easier to get bad news over ice cream. I wonder if, if someone during, in, in the midst of this story were, were to sit down with somebody who really was close to Moses and, and, and just ask the question like, like okay, what, what's, what's the one thing? If you were to guess, like, what is the one thing that you think has the potential to prevent Moses from actually entering the promised land. Like if you had to name one habit, one thing, what, what would it be? I, I would imagine because of all of these incidents in his story that like the people close to him would be like, mm, don't tell him. But here's the thing. He sits and stews and stuffs his anger. And he thinks, he thinks we don't know he's angry, but we can tell. I mean, it's very obvious. And then he flips out and he loses it. And then we all end up paying the price for it. And I'm not even, I'm not even completely mad at him about it because I can tell it's not who he wants to be. But, but he, he does do it regularly. And I wonder, I wonder what those closest to you would say. If someone asked them what is most likely to keep you from accomplishing your dreams. I wonder if maybe you already intuitively know the answer. Maybe you don't need to to conduct the interviews. Maybe you don't need to like gather a poll. In fact, I wonder like, maybe you don't, like, I, but I wonder like if you would have the courage to actually believe the people closest to you if they had the courage to actually be honest with you. And I wonder if you would be willing to put in the work to change before you have to. Most of us, we don't want to do that, right? We like pushing our luck. Aren't you just sort of like, how long can I get away with this? before it really begins to destroy my life. A lot of us do this. Like we wait, we wait for something catastrophic to happen before 
we're willing to address the issue. The problem is, you know, once you strike the rock, oftentimes it's too late. It's too late to turn back. It's, it's too, too late to do it over. And that, I think that is the, the point of this, like, this little line of poetry in the Old Testament. You catch the little foxes. All the little foxes before they ruin the, vi- the vineyard of love. Before they wreck your life, like, don't wait until the whole crop is ruined before you react. And I, it's a metaphor, right? Like, so it's imperfect and it, it's not exact, but like, you, 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 can, you can cross it over into your life, right? I mean, it's essentially saying like, don't wait, don't wait till the heart attack hospitalizes you. Don't wait till the boss finds out. Like, don't wait till the divorce papers are served. Don't wait till the bankruptcy is declared. Address your issues in their infancy because you're smart enough to see where this is headed. If you stop and look and pay attention, you're smart enough to play out where this thing is going. This fox does not have to destroy your life. You can think it through and you can change before you have to. And maybe you're thinking, I'd like to, but I don't know how. And and here's what I would tell you. You can overturn a poor habit by practicing its opposite. And you're going to have to contextualize this inside of your story, inside of your struggle, because I don't know what that thing is for you. But you know what? I'm going to let you share. Let's just go around the room. We're going to start here. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back. I, I, I took a chance today. and <laughs> Like if you, if you have a habit of being greedy, practicing generosity helps. Forcing yourself to do it, even though you don't feel like it, begins to, to, to create a new habit, begins to change that part of who you are. Like if you have a habit of selfishness, joining a serving team and requiring yourself to serve other people and their needs before your own regularly, it begins to help push you in the opposite direction. If you have a habit of putting things off, making yourself accountable to someone, giving yourself a deadline, these things help push us in the right direction. And I wonder what this would look like for you. I, I, when I read this story, I can't help but wonder, like, what would have happened if at some point in the hundred years before this moment happened in Moses' life, if he was willing to acknowledge and address this issue in his life that he was convinced was so small, was so infrequent that it was never going to add up to anything that would really be devastating, and yet... He was locked out of his dream because of it. I I just imagine he would have much preferred to have caught and captured and corralled that little fox, no matter how hard it was. But imagine that, that there was a big part of him that wishes that he would have stripped off the weight that was slowing him down that was tripping him up, that was preventing him from running in the direction 
of what God had for him and who God had designed him to be. Because he didn't. He didn't get to step into everything he'd hoped for. And his habits were to blame. This would be my prayer for you today. That as we tackle this first fox, that you take an inventory of your life, that you ask God to make you aware of and give you the power to address what you need to, to move forward. Would you bow your heads across this room? I just want to pray for you today. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy for the lives that you have given us. You got a lot of us were, were put in situations. We were given temperaments. We landed in a family. We learned certain things that are, man, they are habitual, but they are not helpful. They're doing more damage. And God, I just, I pray that you would open our eyes to these things, that we would take them seriously. And God, that we would, we would be humble enough to surrender them to you and invite you to lead us forward, to uproot these things by pursuing their inverse. God, that you would lead us forward to not allow something so small to sabotage our biggest hopes and dreams. And God, I thank you for this great crowd of witnesses, for this grouping of people for this faith community that is willing to stand with us and press us forward and cheer us on and help us along the way. God, may we step into all you have for us by catching the little foxes. In Jesus' name, amen.